Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding We've sung several hymns concerning the Word of God. We've sung a hymn based on the very passage we're going to read, Psalm 1. If you'll turn with me to page 448, if you're using the Bible that's in the pew or the chair, you can turn easily there. Psalms are pretty much in the middle, a little bit earlier than the middle, but Psalm 1. And as I indicated, this is the beginning of this book of worship in God's providence. This is the psalm that is put first so that we would understand how central the Word of God is to our worship. It's easy sometimes in some traditions to play down the Word and to think that we can have a relationship to God, we can have ideas about God, we can have an intimacy with God apart from God's Word. And Psalm 1 set here at the beginning of the whole book of worship and the whole book of expressing ourselves to God is, tells us otherwise, that the law of the Lord is central to the blessedness of the godly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for our understanding of your word, and we pray that you will enable us to delight in this word, Lord, and to meditate on it. We pray, Lord, that we will be Not only today, but daily, throughout this month, every month, the whole year, the whole of our lives, that we will prove to be trees planted by streams of water. Lord, we will bear fruit in times of tremendous difficulty and drought. Our leaf will not wither. We'll continue to love you. We'll continue to pour out ourselves for others. We'll continue to trust you and have hope for what you are doing in our lives and what you will do ultimately with us. And Lord, we will prosper in all that we do. That is, that we will become more like Christ. We will bear your character 
we will see success in so many areas of our lives in terms of manifesting the beauty and glory and love of Jesus Christ in the way of faithfulness, in the way of responsibility, in the way of diligence, in the way of using our gifts, in the way of doing what is right and just. O Lord, in the full character of God that would display itself in our lives, we will prosper and we will make known your name by word and deed. Lord, I would take this time to pray as well for the next two Sundays when Rob Hamby and Matt Giesman preach. We pray, Lord, that you would prepare their hearts even now and prepare the hearts of your people even now to hear that word. May it go forth with great power and effectiveness. May it be a transforming word by your Holy Spirit. May each of those men... Treasure that word themselves, delight in it themselves, grow by it themselves, and have a joy in proclaiming it, have a sense of your presence in all preparation and, and the preaching of that word. Bless it, Lord, for the changing of your church, the building up of the body of Christ for the glory of Christ. And bless us now. We seek you, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I first want you to uh, look at the stark contrast that this psalm gives us. The word wicked is used four times in this passage. This passage that really centers around the Word of God in verses 2 and 3. But in centering on the Word of God, it gives this constant contrast with the what's called the blessed man, and then he's called the righteous in verse 6, with the wicked. And you'll see there's a progression, as many have pointed out through the years, in the first verse, as he declares this contrast. This man who delights in the law of God, therefore, doesn't walk, stand, or sit in the way of the wicked. So, there's the idea of walking that there's first a listening and a watching and an imitating to follow, to do, and to practice some of the same things as the wicked. There's the first step, the intake, and beginning to follow and do and say those kinds of things. Then the word stand, which means that you begin to associate yourself with the wicked. You take their side. You connect with them. You join in. You throw in your lot with them. And then sit to be fully become one of them. It's who you are. And then you begin to generate your own pessimism and ridicule of God and Christianity. You draw others as you were drawn. So the happy man, the blessed man, the the man who is fully human, who is enriched as a human being and flourishing as a human being, is the man who does not walk, sit, or stand, or sit in the way of the wicked. And it's interesting, this progression of wickedness is countered by one thing in this text. One thing, and that is delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord. The happy, fulfilled, enriched man, the man who is flourishing in the character of God, 
recognizes and turns away from evil because he delights and meditates in God's law. And the indication is, if you do not delight and meditate, then you will be gravitating in the other direction. The stream will be carrying you in another direction if you're not forcefully moving in through the Word of God into a deeper, deeper character. There is a principle. In a vacuum without the Word of God, you will be carried down the stream away from God. Even if you're able to maintain an outward show, your heart will begin to harden. Your desire for God will shrivel shrivel up, as John Piper says, like a forgotten peach in the back of the refrigerator. Your convictions fade. Your passion dries up. Your joy loses its color. Sin finds more and more avenues into your life. It begins to breed and multiply in every direction. Apart from the Word of God. That's what this text is telling. That's how critical the Word of God is to our life as believers. And again, it's set at the outset of worship. It's the heart of worship is that we give ourselves to His Word. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, his version of this is that this is spiritual worship. This is reasonable worship, the offering of ourselves up to God. And here in His Word, if we do not offer ourselves up in obedience to His Word... And of course, to begin to obey it is to begin to get into it, to know it, to delight in it, to treasure it, to get it into our lives and become a part of us. If we're not about that, then we're not giving ourselves up to Him. We haven't even begun to worship. It is a vital aspect of our worship. And so, there are two lifestyles. One of rebellion against God, which in terms of Joyful, sacrificial love to God and man, which the whole scripture points to as the fundamental character that God calls us to. A sacrificial, joyful love to God and others. If apart from the word of God, we resemble not a tree by water, but we're chaff. The amazing contrast. The rich supply of water that creates those ribbons that you see from the airplane, a tree planted by water, endless supply, a leaf that doesn't wither, fruit that's produced, or the leftover dry part of wheat that's just blown away. That's the contrast of somebody that delights and meditates or doesn't delight and meditate. That's what the psalm says. This man who avoids the wicked, delights in the law, he's a a tree. And then it says in verse 5, but the wicked are not so. They're like the chap. The understanding is that the mark of wickedness is we ignore his word. We ignore his word. So it's interesting, this idea of being a tree that whose leaf does not wither, it stands against our condition as sinners. As described, for instance, in Isaiah 64, 6. We've, we're pretty familiar with the phrase, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or like a filthy garment. But there's another part of that verse. We've all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That's our natural condition. 
We're withered leaves. We're, we're dying. We're, we, we have no true life in us. Isaiah one thirty, in describing the judgment upon Israel, God says, you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, same word, like a garden without water. The contrast that those who are truly men and women, boys and girls of the Word, and are meeting and and feeding upon God Himself in that Word, they are transformed into trees whose leaf does not wither. When by nature we are withering, dying people. Even as Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever forever. It's amazing then that those who sink their roots into that word have that kind of unfading life, that life that will never end, that eternal life, because it is a life through the word of God, which truly unites us to God himself. And of course, as he says here, the wicked will not stand in judgment. They will be separated out of the congregation. They will not be in the presence of God. They did not want God because they did not want His Word. And therefore, in the end, they are removed from the presence of God. hope you see that. They did not want God, and in the end, they don't have Him. We've said it before, as C.S. Lewis says, hell is locked from the inside. Okay, It's what people have chosen. I don't want God to be a part of my life. Okay, in the end, that's what's going to happen. He won't be a part of your life. You'll be cut off from all the goodness of God forever in judgment. That's the final end of not wanting God. It's way more than we bargained for. But here, the emphasis is not so much on God Himself, though that's understood, but it's that they don't delight in His Word. They don't take His Word and meditate in His Word. And so it, it, it confronts us, the contrast between the wicked and those who delight in meditating in His Word. And so I'll, I ask this of you and of myself, who are you? Who are you? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? There is no middle way of a righteous or blessed man or woman who supposedly follows God but has no regard for His Word. There is no option. So, first of all, there's this stark contrast presented here. And then secondly, I want to point out that seeking His Word is inseparable from seeking God Himself. Seeking His Word, that is, delighting in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, and meditating in that Word is the same as, and should be the same as, or it's a part of our delighting in God Himself and meditating on God Himself. So, God is revealed in creation, but as we read earlier in our confession, He is revealed especially in the Word. And so, to, uh, since God is to be had through the Word, to ignore the Word is to ignore God's major effort, can we put it that way, to put Himself before us. His chief all-consuming effort to set himself before us to say, here I am for the taking. 
All that I am and the full revelation of my own son, Jesus Christ, is pointed out. Are you going to see the person and work of Jesus Christ as beautiful as a tree would be? If you stared at that tree all day long, it's not going to tell you the specifics of Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of God. That's to be found in the special revelation that God has given us in His Word. And so not to delight in this Word where God has put Himself, so to speak, where He reveals Himself and unveils Himself, is not to delight in God Himself. The Word is all about Him. It's a revelation of Himself, who He is, what He is like, what He does, what He has done, what He's going to do, what He says, what He promises, what He commands, what He wants, what He is doing in this world. And so... We delight in His Word as we delight in Him. The same word for delight is used in Psalm 73. There is nothing I delight in or desire besides you, O Lord. But I desire, because I desire you, I desire your Word and I meditate in it. Psalm 111, greater the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. So, We delight in Him. We delight in His works. We delight in His Word. We can't pull those apart. We can't say, well, I really have a great relationship with God, but I just don't have any relationship to His Word. And Christ is our great example here. In a a verse that's quoted in Hebrews, specifically pointing to Jesus Christ, says in Psalm 48, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will. And though we see the Lord Jesus, even at 12 years old, had shown himself to be a young man who delighted in the Word to such an extent he had meditated so long and hard on that Word, he stumped the, the greatest professors with his intimate knowledge and joy of that Word. And it wasn't just that he knew it, He lived it. It was a part of his life. It's not just in uh, Matthew 4 when he was faced with the temptation of Satan that he's sitting there saying, Oh, I got, you're going to tempt me? I got a verse for that. You know, like just quoting verses. It was the word exuding from his life. It was who he was. He was one with the word. This is our Savior. You know, as the perfect man, he was a man utterly devoted to the Word of God. And it poured out of him in every direction. Is it not written? Do you not know the Word? Have you not read? He was constantly amazed at people's refusal to know and understand and believe the Word. So our Lord himself delighted in the Word. And you could give passages about meditating on God in the watches of the night, pondering His work, etc., that are found in the Psalms. Time doesn't warrant that. But the meditation upon God, the meditation on His Word, delighting in God, delighting in His Word, these are one and the same thing in the Scripture. And so, interestingly, as you come to the Word how it's associated with the fear of God, for instance. The fear of God is an all-encompassing response to God. It involves awe, 
and amazement and wonder and joy. It involves honor and praise and trust. It involves allegiance and submission. It's, a, it's one of those giant words in Scripture that involves the whole of our glorious giving ourselves up gladly to God. But here we read in Psalm 112, verse 1, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The man who fears the Lord delights in his commandments. They come together, see. There's no separation of our whole response to God and delighting in his word. Psalm 112, verse 1. Or go from fear, the fear of God to love to Christ. How can we say we love Christ when we ignore his word? For the Lord Jesus himself said in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me, has my commandments, gets my commandments, knows my commandments, seeks my commandments. You see, the whole idea, this is the one who loves me. And two verses later, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So how can I begin to think that I'll have a relationship to Jesus Christ apart from his word? When he says, this is the core, this is the core of love to me. And if this is done away with, there is no love uh, for me. So the fear of God is associated with the word. Love to Christ is associated with the word. Trust in Christ is associated with the word. That great section in John 15 where he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And in that context, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and it shows us some of the content of that abiding in Him. To abide in Him will ultimately mean then that I have such a relationship to His Word, trusting it, depending on it, seeking it, feeding on it, that those words will abide in me. They will remain in me. They will become a part of me. Kind of the same thing as Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And so to abide in Him is to trust and depend, to put everything, our whole lives, in Christ. But that cannot be done apart from His Word. Because the end result of abiding in Him means because I've trusted Him, I have gone to His Word and He has become a part of my life. So if His Word is not abiding in me, it indicates I'm not abiding in Him. I don't trust Him. I don't want Him. I don't care what He has said to me. I don't care about His promises. I don't care about His greatness. I don't care about His commands. And then in one of the most glorious passages, I'm trying to just show many ways in which this is put in Scripture. The fear of God is associated with with the word uh, love to Christ, trust in Christ. And then this idea that Peter sets forth in 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about partaking of the divine nature. Now, he doesn't mean, of course, that we're being deified, you know, we're becoming God. But when he talks about partaking of the divine nature, he has in mind fellowshipping with God, partaking of all of his resources as he gives himself to us as God, and then uh, along with that, that there's an enjoyment. Partaking of him means a delight and enjoyment of him, and partaking of him means to become like him. All of these things of worship and delight and conformity, 
and fellowship with Him to become partakers of the divine nature. But notice how you become a partaker of the divine nature. And surely that's the ultimate in human experience, right? To partake of God Himself. That's, and to partake of God Himself in the midst of everything else you do. You know, that there's a fellowship and, a, and an intimacy with Him that I develop more and more in my life in all areas of my life. <clears throat> But he says, he has granted to us, 2 Peter chapter 1, his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. See, to partake of him, to drink of him, to draw him to myself, to be nourished by him, to feed upon him, to have him cannot be separated from his promises. It's the, it's the truck, in a sense. It's the whole line of truck, you know, a whole trucking line that delivers to me, in a sense, the, the goodness and glory and greatness of God. These trucks are called his promises. And if you shut the door to those promises, if the gate is shut and there's no admittance to promise, then you've just shut out God. As Peter says, that's the means by which we partake of him. It is his word, his word that he gives to us. And so to go after the word, is to, do, uh, to delight and meditate on it, is to go after God, to delight and meditate on him. And so the application is pretty simple, isn't it? There's more that we could say about someone, but the application is pretty simple. Do I, do you, delight in his word and meditate day and night? Talk a little bit about what that means. This word, delight, is used in the uh, Torah, the, the beginning five books of the Bible, to talk about a man's regard for his wife. It's his whole life regard for her. The regard that he has for his wife that causes him to want to have her for himself and give himself to her and and belong to her and her to him forever and live in fellowship with her forever, to be faithful to her. And so that word delight is used here in delighting in the word of God. And delight and meditate just naturally go together. Uh, If you love, love, love to curl up, with a great novel and read, which is not wrong in itself, just trying to let us connect with things we delight in. If you love, love, love to do that, you find time to do it, don't you? Have you ever lost sleep reading a novel? I'm the only one. Okay. Okay, yeah, okay. A few honest people out there. You ever lost sleep watching a movie or watching a TV show and you think, gosh, I need to get to bed at 10, but I sure would like to see that. Yeah, I've seen some hands. Okay. <laughs> and some of us have read dozens, hundreds of novels of every kind. We feast on them. We can't wait to the next one. I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? Don't get this thing, oh, you can't like this. You... That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to set forth delight, Okay what delight is, how it works in our lives, how we feel about these things, how we long for them, how we can't wait to get to them. It may be history for you, biography. It may be a TV show you never miss during the regular season. You never miss it. 
You always record it. You always make time for that 30 minutes or that hour. You see all 36 of them. Or it could be 24 and you started watching late, okay? And so you watch the early episodes without commercials, you know, five years. And you say, how long did it take you to see those first five years? <laughs> Two weeks, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> For some of us, it's daily programs. Never miss the news. You never miss that talk show. Never miss Letterman, perhaps. You never miss Andy Griffith reruns, whatever. You plan for it. You record it. Some things we wait all year for. March Madness, World Series, Kentucky Derby, Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The Masters, the Olympics every four years. I anticipate the Olympics. I can't wait till that summer or that winter. Name your favorite toys. Name your favorite things to play. Name your favorite foods. Gardening, traveling, art, music, cards, tinkering in your shop or garage, cooking, golf, tennis, shopping, supper club, volunteer work. Okay? None of these is wrong. None of these is wrong necessarily. In fact, the scriptures even urge us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Go for it. Relish this life that God has given you under the sun. I'm not striking out against these things. In fact, they should be done to the glory of God with vigor, with zeal. We, we, we should enjoy God's creation better than the world enjoys God's creation. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. Life with relish and joy in His presence, enjoying every good thing He has given us, giving thanks for all things. But if I have all these delights and no delight in God's Word, if that's the case, can it be that I'm delighting in God in these things when the main revelation of God I totally ignore or I give very little attention to or I feel very little for it? Can it be that my whole life really is given up to God when this primary revelation of Him is largely ignored by me? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't think we're that good. Okay? We're not that good. We've got to have His Word. We've got to be sustained. We've got to abide in Christ and His words abide in us if we're going to produce fruit, if we're going to have the character of God, if we're going to partake of His divine nature. And it's interesting here that the reason He doesn't walk, sit, or or stand, or sit is... It doesn't name a lot of delights. It just says, this is it. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Just names that one delight. As though this settles the whole issue. This tells you what this guy is about. This tells you what his relationship to God is. This tells you what he depends upon. This tells you what he loves That everything else, everything is done in submission to this God. Everything else is done for the glory of God. It's not that he doesn't take delight in God's creation or relationships or God's material gifts. But this expresses the central focus of his life, the hub for everything else, what he's really all about. I delight in God. 
Is the word your delight? Someone says, tell me about yourself. What do you like to do? I'm not saying every time, the light and the word of God, you know, like might not be the best entrance into a conversation, okay? Especially with the preacher voice, but maybe it's not the time to put it out there right there. You know, you have to, but at least in our hearts and in the right setting, wouldn't it be good that we could say, they say, tell me about yourself. What do you like? And you just say, oh, I like the word. I like the word. I love God's word. It's precious to me. I I really desire it. I really look forward to reading it. It really has become a part of my life and my thinking more and more. And I find more and more treasure in it. And rather than putting a burden on you, I hope this will free you. I have to think, oh, okay, guys, I've got everything else to do, and now I've got to find time to meditate. Okay, Now I'll spend more time on this in a couple of weeks. But I hope you will think this way, rather. It's okay to make time for God's Word. Okay? It's okay, husbands and wives, to free each other up for some time in God's Word. And also, of course, it's not just Word that you have in private, but the word that you've discussed with others or you've heard taught or preached for that word to live with you and for you to meditate on it. Because in those days, hardly anybody had the text right in front of them. They just had heard the word. They heard it regularly. But they would hear it and they would digest it and they would memorize it, remember parts of it, and they would feed upon it and they would meditate on it and say it over and over again in their lives. It's remarkable in cultures that are that have no written word how much they remember. So I know we're in a different setting, but we have this glorious printed word and part of it would be, at least part of it would be, the time that you can spend as well meditating in that word. So the point is that It is our delight. And I want to leave you with this thought. Isn't it amazing that God delights in us? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's what the scriptures say. He says in Isaiah 62, 4, You will no more be termed forsaken, and your land no more shall be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her. God delights in us? Well, you know, to me it's like God looking in a little thimble, you know, and saying, oh, it's just beautiful. You know, it's because how could he delight in us? How could he treasure us and love us? And then will we not treasure and delight in him by delighting in his word? He who is so delighted in us, he has given his son to die for us. Brothers and sisters, the love of the God who's given His Son is the love that permeates these scriptures, that is just bursting at the seams like a dam holding back water to pour forth its richness into your life. May God bless you so that you can be the happy man, woman, boy, or girl, the true human being, the fulfilled, enriched human being described here, blessed Blessed, blessed is the man who delights in the Word of God 
and meditates day and night. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for giving yourself to us in your word. We praise you and honor you that you so want us to have you, to delight in you, to be thrilled at you, to be in wonder of you, to submit to you, to honor and praise you, to be in awe of you. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us. Forgive us, Lord. We all admit how careless we have been, but by your grace, by your sovereign spirit, by your redemption, we can be redeemed so that we become lovers of God and lovers of His Word. Bless us to that end, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away